0: Clip City is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last minute tickets. Did you know that Clippers ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. So go ahead and go to the App Store or Play Store right now to download Game Time. And score awesome deals on last minute tickets. One, two, three, four. Yo, yo, welcome to the second inaugural episode of the Clip City podcast. We are now on the athletic, and I thought it was fitting that I would bring back my first guest of my first ever podcast uh, that I hosted. Ben Goliver of the Washington Post. He is the national NBA writer, good friend of mine, someone I've been going to games with now for a few years. Always enjoy chatting with him. Ben, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I realized your birthday was this week. You told everybody you turned 27. I can't believe it. I know there's a big (laughs) debate online about whether you're actually 22 because of your baby face or if you're actually 35 because of how you tweet. I don't know where I'm going to weigh in, but I would just say that I'm stunned watching your development that you you're already 27 it, it blows my mind
0: so uh, i'll t- I'll take that as a backhanded compliment somewhat but i, I want to know how, how do i tweet like a 35 year old um
1: uh, no I, you just you know you mix it up you don't care anymore you're going after these lakers fans okay, you know yeah, you're not in yeah, that yeah. tentative stage of people who are Let's just trying to make friends on the internet you know you're you're out there trolling a little bit you know yeah. trying to start drama with laker <laughs> nation i see you
0: i they, they, they've been pushing my buttons lately man it's it started What's weird is it started before the Clippers even got Kawhi and PG. It really started once the Lakers got AD. I've noticed anything I tweet Clippers related, I just get like two or three Laker trolls just trolling me. And uh, yeah, I'm starting to starting to punch back a little bit. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited for opening night. And well, as uh,
1: one of your unofficial advisors, I'm just going to let your audience know that I've fully encouraged you to just lean all the way into it. I <laughs> think it's your new lane. I think it's a perfect th- no, way to you do have, it. If, you, if you're going to have a podcast that's called the Clip City Podcast, I think you should just keep it real on here and, and go all the way with it.
0: No, yeah, that, that that's why I'm, you know, I, I'm really intrigued to see how Tuesday night goes because I think if the Clippers can win that, it is a home game. But if they can win that without PG, I think that's going to be really telling to. Uh, The potential dynamics of that matchup in particular, because I think that's really what everyone wants to see this season is some type of hallway series at some point in the playoffs. It would probably happen in the conference finals, I would guess, but uh, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Let's let's dive into the real juicy stuff. The preseason. (laughs) Um, This has been a really weird preseason for the Clippers because no one's basically played. Uh, They went two and three. The only two wins were against non NBA opponents. They did not beat an NBA team this preseason, but Kawhi Leonard's only played 33 minutes. Paul George has yet to officially play, and Pat Beverly and Lou Williams each sat out two games. So I wanted to get your take from someone, I believe you're at the Nuggets game, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just kind of what your read is on this team early on, if you have any. and Because I'm at, almost at the point where I'm like, I just don't know if there's anything we could take away. Like The, the defenses look good. The offenses look bad. That's kind of the gist of it. But outside of that, like until we actually see them opening night against the Lakers, I don't know if you can really glean much from the preseason.
1: I have one big picture takeaway on the Clippers, and then I've got one more basketball takeaway on the Clippers. So first from the big picture standpoint, um, this summer we spent weeks wondering is Kawhi Leonard gonna go to the Lakers, form a super team, go to the Clippers, do his own thing? And we heard the Clippers pitch about, you know, why he should join uh, you know, them, and it was, we're a black top team, we're not about the drama, we're going to stay out of the headlines, all we care about is basketball. I think you saw already during the preseason some pretty clear validation for Kawhi Leonard's decision, right? Because you look at the Lakers, they're caught up in this China fiasco, which was not of their <laughs> own making. But you look yeah. at what LeBron comes out and says on Monday night, I mean, he completely torches the internet by going after Daryl Morey, and uh, you know, some would say, siding with China. It is so difficult for me to picture in my mind's eye Kawhi Leonard in a Lakers jersey, like an hour after LeBron uh, made those comments. You know, being forced to deal with seventy-five media members breathing down his throat, asking for his take (laughs) about uh, Chairman Xi and Daryl Morey and the future of U.S.-China relations and the trade, uh, you know, the, the trade war that's going on and everything else that's that's happening, kind of geopolitically. And for LeBron. This is very normal. It's just the LeBron experience. But for Kawhi, we know he's a different kind of guy, and I think, uh, you know, you look at how all of that played out. Uh, he made the right pick. You know, I think that he found a franchise where he could be the guy who's going to do things his way, who's going to cater to him, build the whole show around him, and he looked comfortable to me uh, at various points during the preseason. And I just think it's just a real clear uh, difference of you know approach, media attention, and all that things between. The Lakers with LeBron and uh, Kawhi with the Clippers. What do you think?
0: I'm with you. Uh, I, I think that it, you know, it Kawhi. Like we we have not asked him that. Uh, I, I wasn't there in Vancouver yesterday when they played the preseason game against the Mavericks, so I'm not sure if if that question was brought up. That you know, I haven't seen the availability online yet. Uh, I saw a couple clips. You know, nothing was mentioned, so I'm guessing people stayed away from that with Kawhi because I, I don't think he was gonna. Really wade into those waters and, and provide some type of insight, but I totally agree, and I think you've you've seen with the Lakers. I mean, just sort of the the cycle, and the, there's already been some drama there with you know who's starting, and um, you know is LeBron the, the starting point guard or what's going like? There's just been a lot of talk about certain things that I, I don't think really interest Kawhi from a sensibility standpoint. So I do think from the way things have played out since he made his decision, it does seem rather obvious to me that he does fit better culturally with the Clippers. And, you know, that's something he's talked about both at, uh, you know, a media day, both in, in his introductory press conference, like, you know, with the Clippers, it was just a more natural fit. And I think, you know, for, for his purposes moving forward, like, um, you know, they're, they're not as much in the limelight as the Lakers, like the, the small, like Avery Bradley doing well in training camp became like borderline, like national story for, the The Lakers, where the Clippers, conversely, have had their own kind of versions of that with Mo Harkless or, or Terrence Mann or, or Rodney Magruder. And those have not, you know, entered that level stratosphere just because of who the Lakers are. So I think really just kind of now that we've seen it, it's been three months or, you know, a little over three months since he made his decision. Uh, I think it is a perfect marriage from that perspective.
1: For sure. And that ties in with my basketball takeaway, which is, There's also a clear difference between the Lakers and the Clippers when it comes to, I think, pacing this season. You know, I've gotten a real sense from uh, watching LeBron and Anthony Davis and just how they've handled those guys' minutes during the preseason that there's a real thirst to turn the page from kind of an embarrassing year last year where Magic winds up leaving. They miss the playoffs. They have to trade all these guys. They get, you know, involved in this, uh, you know, back and forth trying to, you know, basically poach Anthony Davis from New Orleans at the trade deadline. And LeBron has been sitting around waiting for months and months, just kind of dying to play. And Anthony Davis, it's the same deal. I think he's ready to put his stamp on his career and try to you know, introduce himself on a bigger platform as an MVP and as a defensive player of the year. And again, it's just a stark contrast with the Clippers. As you've mentioned, they've rested their guys. It seems like they're taking the approach that it's you know not a sprint. It's a marathon. Kawhi Leonard came out and told us after that Denver game. Uh, you'll remember this that he's feeling a little bit rusty because he didn't do that much this summer from a basketball standpoint. Uh certainly that quote, you know, popped yep. to me because uh you know, we're under the impression that he's in a much better place physically than he was at this time last year and and yet he still took the summer uh you know, very gradually and and didn't put himself into five on five situations. Uh you know, that's just kind of newsworthy. So, uh I think, you know, my basketball takeaway was when he was on the court uh, you know, the, the shot looked pretty good. Uh, his playmaking looked pretty good. It already seemed like he was developing a kind of an understanding for who his teammates are. And certainly his skill level is at the point where you could put him on, you know, any court with four strangers and he's going to look great. Um, but I, I do think that my takeaway from the preseason from a basketball standpoint was just patience. You know, I, I'm not going to expect the Clippers to kind of like come busting out of the gate like they did one year, a few years ago, and they were like 15 and one. Remember that? uh i think yeah. the clippers deserve to be viewed as the title favorites uh but when you factor in paul george you know missing some time to start the season Kawhi very clearly easing into it uh, i'm just not in a situation where i think that they're gonna like you know try to you know bust down the gates right out of the gate
0: yeah no i i totally agree with you and, and this is something i've talked about this is something i've written about where People like and and people took it the wrong way online because I I just wrote about it actually after Media Day where I, I took the opposite side where I was like you know we have been talking about the Clippers as team load management team rest you know Kawhi is going to miss his fifteen to twenty games PG is going to miss the first ten to twenty games and then probably be on some type of load management program where he misses another five to ten so you're potentially looking at anywhere from like 35 to 50 games combined uh, missed between those two, I, I think on, on like maybe the more aggressive side of projecting that. And that's a lot of games and, you know, any team, uh, you know, what even if going back to like the Warriors, uh, you know, they did have some injuries to KG, uh, KG, KD and Steph at times. But if you went into a season saying, Hey, like KD and Steph are going to miss up to 50 games, potentially this season, that would drop the warriors projected win total a lot. So, for me, I've kind of been on the side of things where I'm like like looking at the clippers projected win total, you know, a lot of people have had them in the mid 50s. I'm like that's that's not the upside. I think this team has the upside of a 61 team. It, you know, at like if you told me Kawhi and PG are playing 75 plus games each, I think this team could get to 60 wins. But I'm looking at it more like those guys are probably going to be in the 60 to 65 range. Uh, each and if you tell me that, I'm thinking somewhere in like the 52, 53, 54 win range, which you know is, is kind of significant. So I've been more like this team's probably going to be a three to five seed, uh, just because of how competitive the West is. I still think that, like you said, they're, they're probably the, the the title favorites right now, and, and at least the favorites to get out of the West, if not the title favorites. But the gap between them and say the Lakers. Uh, or the Rockets, the Jazz, the Nuggets, I don't think it's that significant that they can just make that up in the regular season with, with having these guys rest. And I think what you're seeing right now, like my takeaway from the preseason has actually been, they need these guys more than you think. Because So the Clippers won 48 games last season, but their expected win total was actually that of a 43-win team. So there was this kind of element of they got lucky in the clutch, you know, Lou Williams was one of the best crunch time performers last season. The Clippers were the best crunch time uh, team and they kind of got lucky and, and as we've seen from teams like Minnesota in the past where they've been on the other side where you know their expected win total has been somewhere in like the mid mid to high 40s and they've won like 38 games or 40 games or whatever, like it, it can kind of fluctuate season to season. So, I think this team is probably closer to a 500 team uh, without Kawhi and PG, like, like kind of entering next season, even without those guys, like this is probably around a 500 team or, or maybe even worse after you factor in losing in Shea and Gallo. So what this preseason has kind of shown me is, you know, this team with without Kawhi and PG is going to struggle to score. They're really reliant on Lou and Trez. And I don't think that's necessarily a surprise, but, you know, I wrote some stuff. Other people have wrote some stuff about Landry Schammett having a bigger role this season and Avica Zubats and Montrez Harrell expanding their range and, you know, this guy and that guy. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of nice to theorize, but once you actually see it on the court, a lot of that stuff hasn't applied this season yet. So, again, it's early. You don't want to make, you know, rash judgments on, on different things. But to me, it's like, you know, defensively, I think this team's going to be solid with or without Kawhi and, and PG in and out of the lineup. But offensively is where my concerns are of, you know, they don't have that traditional playmaking point guard that's gonna create a lot of easy buckets for other guys. They don't really have that other scorer outside of Lou who's really just gonna go out get twenty plus a night if Kawhi or PG's resting. So for me, more of the concerns have been on the offensive end, I guess, uh, from watching this preseason, but Again, I, I don't want to, you know, you just haven't seen enough. Kawhi's only played 33 minutes. It's way too early, I think, to make any significant takeaways. Yeah,
1: I think the comparison to last year that you're making is really good. And uh, people forget when they go to that top line argument of, well, they were, won this many games last year and they're adding Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They do forget who they have to subtract out. And as you mentioned, there's Gallinari. Uh, there's Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and then there's also, you know, Tobias Harris, who was traded before the deadline, who contributed to some wins, uh, before he, he, uh, uh, was moved. So that's, uh, you know, a a significant amount of talent, uh, going out. I mean, you can make an argument, both Harris and Gallinari were sort of borderline all-star players at times last year. Um, so that's not nothing and that should influence things to me. Uh, the Clippers factoring in all the injuries, the rest and all that stuff, Uh, I think they should win 54 games this year, you know, and I think that, you know, as you're mentioning, if they gunned completely, you know, all out, they should be a 60 plus win team. But I still think there's enough here uh, for these guys to be, you know, in that upper echelon of the Western Conference, uh, even if they're, you know, getting off maybe a little bit on the wrong foot because of Paul George. Uh, I just think that's how much I believe in Kawhi Leonard uh, and Paul George. I think Kawhi Leonard was a guy that I questioned a lot. At this time last year, because I felt like he quit on the San Antonio Spurs, uh, I felt like he did not handle his exit the right way. I didn't necessarily trust his body. Uh, I wanted to see whether his load management idea was just self-preservation before free agency, or whether he was really going to buy in uh, and con- you know lead a team on a deep postseason run. And then I also wanted to see if he would still you know maintain a high level of uh, defensive impact. When he was asked to, you know, do a little bit more offensively uh, in Toronto, and he answered every single one of those questions. So at this point, I'm not really doubting him on anything besides is he going to stay healthy, right? Uh, with Paul George, yeah. he had an unbelievable career year last year that ended poorly. So I think that you know it got lost a little bit just because Damian Lillard sticks that three pointer in his face from like 40 feet, and that's a really tough way to go down. Um, but I mean, Paul George. Was just absolutely out of this world for basically all of uh, last season. So, uh, and he's doing it with Westbrook. And I think he's a way better fit, style wise and uh, game wise, with Kawhi Leonard than he was with Russell Westbrook. So, uh, you know, I think that they're going to be in a situation where once everybody's back, they're going to be stringing together some long winning streaks. They're going to be a team that uh, opponents fear. And I think the other aspect, too, is that balmer i think is going to be aggressive you know and if it gets to trade deadline season or buyout season uh i think that you know there's always a chance that the roster they've got right now isn't the roster they finish the season with
0: so i don't want to spoil my win total uh, until the end of the episode it has increased i'll say that uh, because i just did uh, the Dunk Don podcast with nate duncan and, and we did clippers preview I predicted them to win 53 games. I will say my new prediction will be higher, uh, but I'll, I'll get into the specifics uh, in about 20 minutes. Uh, but before then, what I want to ask you is, you know, this is a team that, depending on the book you look at in Vegas, they're either the title favorites or the second or third title favorites. I, I think they're pr- the top three everywhere. Uh, you know, A couple of days ago, we had the GM survey come out and the you know 46% of the league's gms and again this is an anonymous survey where you know politics don't matter it's completely what do you actually believe 46% of the league uh you know the head decision makers the guys who are shaping rosters who are building contenders like 46% of them said that they think the clippers are the title favorites And, you know, the the Bucs were right behind them at 36%. But if you look at the, you know, kind of who they've picked through the years, most of the time that team at least makes the finals, if not wins the championship. So just looking at that, like, what do you think that are fair and realistic expectations for the Clippers this season? Is there a minimum threshold for them in the playoffs for this season not to be considered a failure? Like, is it championship or bust? Is it finals or bust? Is it Western Conference finals and bust? Or is, you know, maybe at least making the second round and and maybe you lose to the Lakers or the Rockets or the Jazz or something, is that a failure of a season? Or how do you view the Clippers' expectations going to next year?
1: Yeah, I mean, just to underscore the GM survey first, I mean, that was the sense I got at Summer League. I did a story on just kind of what does the rest of the league think about the Clippers and the initial reaction, because it was right after Paul George and Kawhi had, uh, you know, uh, basically signed on or, or were traded. And the initial reaction was, yes, these guys deserve to be the favorites. We know it's weird, you know, because a team like the Clippers has never been viewed as like the NBA favorite and they've never made the conference finals at all the other, you know, horror stories from their franchises past. But they're like, look, this is a new day. Ballmer's a different guy. Kawhi Leonard's that good. And the Paul George uh, move was just such a chess move uh, in in the Western Conference, Mm -hmm. you know, given that, oh, he had been linked to the Lakers in the past and uh, he had been already teamed up with another superstar in Oklahoma City that they believe just sort of the power access had been, uh, you know, changed down to the Clippers. I'm still with that. You know, when I look at what, you know, wins in playoff basketball, I don't think it's a, a two man, uh, you know, a duo type of situation. I know everybody wants to compare who's got the best superstar duo to me. It's all about who's got that best go-to just money closing lineup that can create matchup problems for everybody else and can match up with just about everyone else. Right. And I think when you have Mm -hmm. two premier wings, who can defend multiple positions, who can play up, who could play down, who could be in a small ball, uh, you know, spread oriented lineups, who could be in, you know, big ball kind of bully lineups, who do it on the defensive end and who can both create a shot. That is just a lot of playoff firepower. And so that's why I believe they deserve to be viewed as the uh, the favorites. If I'm picking, I think it'll be Clippers over Sixers in the finals uh, for the championship. Now, in terms of, you know, what's a disappointment, what's a failure, This franchise needs to get to the conference finals, okay? I mean, you have a team like Portland who didn't have, uh, you know, Nurkic last year. You know, they're kind of wheezing into the Western Conference Finals uh, at a time when nobody picked them whatsoever. Uh, You know, if they could do it, the Clippers need to be able to do it, right? I mean, it's a franchise that has, you know, all the ghosts of Donald Sterling, all the ghosts of Chris Paul playoff meltdowns, Blake Griffin postseason injuries. They have such a splashy summer where, you know, guys like you and me are going out uh, to a pep rally with hundreds of people, you know, watching these guys christen murals and uh, Steve Ballmer's going nuts on stage and everything else. Like some of this pressure is not just based on their talent level, but it's based on how they've kind of carried themselves, right? I mean, they're they're trying to be a championship organization. They're trying to deliver. If they were not to reach the Western Conference finals, I think that becomes one of the biggest stories in the league. You know, the Steve Ballmer's big bet goes bust, right? I think that would be the headline that a lot of people would run with. So I think that's the cutoff. Uh, you know, if if they make the the conference finals or the finals, I think they're playing with house money. Though I don't think it's championship or bust.
0: So I'm with you in a macro sense. I think that this is Western Conference Finals or bust. I think if you look at, I'm of the belief that in 2021, Kawhi and PG will both resign. Uh, I don't know if it'll be one plus one, two plus one. Like that, that's too hard to predict at this point. And kind of the trends of what superstars do in the off season. Like it's been fluctuating so much that I think it'd be foolish to try and predict that almost two years out. But I do think both guys with, with the comments they've made about being home and some of the financial things they've done in terms of like buying houses and just sort of the way they've been carrying themselves. I do expect both guys to be with the Clippers long-term. Now that being said, if they don't make the conference finals at least, I mean, definitely definitely, at least one of the next two seasons like i think that puts that in jeopardy and that's really the only way you're barring these two guys like not getting along or or having some type of internal disagreement like a james harden chris paul situation i just I, i think as long as they make the conference finals one of the next two seasons uh and you know potentially finals potentially winning the championship like they'll both stay and um obviously the, the Clippers front office will have a say in that. And you know, as we've seen with some of their moves, like they're not afraid to trade guys if they don't view them as long term pieces. And we can get to that in a little bit in terms of guys on this roster who who might end up getting moved. But I, I'm with you totally where they have to make the conference finals. Now, again, with that said, I think the context applies where to me at full strength, the difference between the clippers and the lakers is probably negligible. So for me conference finals runs aren't all created equal. I know some people will say they are and that's fine, but for me I care about context and like going to the blazers who who you just pointed out, their conference finals run was a little weak to me because I felt, you know, yes they beat denver without home court advantage and that was a very impressive series win. I kind of felt Denver blew that series, but that that doesn't really matter for for these purposes. But I just felt like they were on the weaker side of the bracket where you had the Warriors and the Rockets, who I I think most people would have agreed were the two best teams in the West on the same side. And a lot of people felt like the Jazz were the third best team and and they ended up playing Houston uh, in in the first round. So I know you can't pick your path to the conference finals and you can't pick your opponents. And hey, if you get on the easier side of the bracket, like good for you, make the most of that. But to me, like I'm just envisioning if somehow the Clippers played like the warriors in round one with clay coming back that series. And now all of a sudden you're playing a team who at full strength might be the third best team in the West with with clay back. And then you play like the Lakers in round two, you know, maybe the warriors beat you up for six or seven games. You win that. And then you go play the Lakers kind of depleted after they just beat whoever in in the first round. And then, you know, maybe the Lakers beat you in, in six or seven games. So, I, yeah. I think hey, like yo, the, I the don't context want is su- going to matter. With- I don't want to
1: sound like a bully here, but I think that the Clippers have used up every single excuse they've got. Right. Okay. So I'm with you. Context That's matters. fair. No,
0: no, look, that, that's yeah. fair.
1: And, and I agree with you, what you're saying about not every conference finals run is created equal. That is 100% true. I mean, look no further than how easy it is to make the Eastern conference finals versus making the Western conference <laughs> finals. Right. Uh, and of course, if we're in a situation where like just, just the top 16 teams, regardless of conference, uh, you know, get into the playoffs so that, you know, maybe there's more Western conference teams in there and uh, the matchups are a little bit easier. Like there's no doubt in my mind, the Clippers are going to be one of the top four teams in the league this year. Right. So it's a little bit unfair, but at the same time, I think those ghosts are real, man. Like, you know, that three, one lead against Houston. You're you're right. uh, The fact that, you know, some of those years during the regular season, those Clippers teams were just so, so good. I mean, Chris Paul is playing like an MVP candidate multiple years and they can never get over the hump. It's just, I feel like the pressure would really come in and just kind of uh, loom over this franchise if they get into a situation where it looks like they're going to be uh, you know, going out early.
0: Well, yeah. Like, like you just brought up with the Lob City, that was the highest win percentage over a five-year period to not make the conference finals. Like That is a historically underachieving team in terms of how good they were and, and the fact that they never made a conference finals. And you know, if that happens here, uh, like, look, here's the thing. If they don't make the conference finals, you can expect Stephen A and Max Kellerman to be talking about it on first take on that Monday morning and roasting the Clippers like that's going to happen. So I, I do think, again, like it is conference finals or bust from the way I'm going to view it. I, I do think the context is going to matter, but I understand that for 99% of people, the context won't matter. And it's just. The results, you know, did you make the conference finals or not? Did you make the finals or not? Did you win a championship or not? But I guess to to answer my own kind of complicated question, I think it is conference finals or bust where if they lose in the second round again, it's gonna be same old clippers, can't get to the conference finals. You know, Kawhi's overrated, PG, you know, playoff P is a thing, and, and PG underperforms since his Indiana days, and this and that, and like they're gonna get flack. So I think I agree with you. Um, I just wasn't sure if, if you viewed it finals or bust because it does seem like that's almost how it's being sort of depicted where again, everyone has them as either the West favorites or the title favorites pretty much. And, you know, I think, but I don't think it's a warriors type thing where like the warriors, it was like, not only did you have to make the finals, you basically had to win the championship. Like if you didn't win the championship, it was a failure of a season. I think the Clippers will view it that way, but, for me, I think it's you, you got to make the conference finals. But yeah. n- now let's get into well, some of the reasons. Well, real quick, why, on, real or, quick on that or, one, though.
1: I, I agree. This is not a super team. Okay, this is an awesome team. This is the best team in the league to me, top to bottom. But I don't think that they're a super team. So I don't think that they deserve to have that championship uh, or bust, you know, tag. I think that's just too aggressive. And I think part of it, uh, it just applies to the parity across the top. You know, I think there is a, a deeper number of teams this year than usual who could win the title. And I think that basically all of those teams are one injury away at a, at a poor time from no longer being true championship contenders. Right. So, um, to overburden oh, yeah. the Clippers kind of like overcorrect and show them all this respect that, oh, these guys are, you know, the no banner title favorites <laughs> and all that. It's too much. It, it really just is. And I think there's a happy medium in between.
0: Yeah, no, uh, we're, we're in agreement here. So, Quickly, before we get into the predictions, I wanted to touch on what you view as the strengths of the roster and what you view as the weaknesses of the roster. And, you know, pretty open ended, you could take that any which way in terms of going super in depth or just keeping it kind of more generic. But, you know, for to say they have to make the conference finals and, and, you know, as you have them as your title favorites, if they're healthy, you know, what do you view as, as the strengths of the roster and what do you view as something they? Might have to shore up at some point.
1: Yeah, we touched on it a little bit, but I mean, I think the defensive identity for sure is a major strength. The versatility that you, that just comes with having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, from a lineup perspective, from a matchup perspective, from taking out the other team's best player uh, perspective, uh, those are all you know huge uh, you know, it, it strengths that I don't think a lot of other teams this year can match. Um, so that would be mm-hmm. you know where I would start. You know, I've kind of floated this idea, but. I mean, Doc can get really crazy with the lineups if he wants to, right? Like, especially if he goes to Trez at center and has Paul George uh, and, you know, Kawhi kind of using that threesome together. I mean, you can get lots of shooting onto the court. You can get super interchangeable wings. I mean, you can almost practically play four wings in Trez together uh, if you want it to really be a nightmare, you know, long, active, disruptive team. Uh, for opponents to try to match up with, you know, get up and down the court if you wanted to at times too. Um, So I think that, uh, you know, he's just got uh, more tools in his toolbox than the average coach does, uh, thanks to their depth and and just the type of players that they've accumulated. Uh, In terms of the weaknesses, I go back kind of to what some of uh, the executives were pointing out over this summer. I think that there's a question at that center spot, um because they don't really have a guy who's an ideal playoff matchup uh for an Anthony Davis so that's one guy you just kind of circle and say you know they they're probably going to have more trouble you know dealing with an Anthony Davis in the playoffs than say the Golden State Warriors did when they could use you know players like Draymond or Kevon Looney and really have some success uh, I think that's a pretty steep downgrade going uh or KD yeah it's a pretty steep downgrade going to Uh, you know Trez, Ed Zubak, or uh, even Paul George. I I just think you're you're giving up a lot of length there, uh, and you know a lot of just skill level uh, as well. So I think that's one weakness. The other would be, I don't want to, I don't want to call this a weakness because I know he just gave you a birthday shout out uh, on Twitter. Um, But I think the point guard position uh, with Patrick Beverly, it's a little bit of a question. I know that. He is absolutely beloved by Clippers fans and rightfully so. He is such a great ambassador for the franchise. He sets the tone. The leadership is there, all those things. I'm not totally sold that he's still the same player he was a couple of years ago uh, in terms of uh, his impact uh, defensively. I do think there's a possibility at this stage of his career that his reputation has actually got a little bit ahead uh, of the results. Uh, and then, of course, you know, on the offensive side, He's a complimentary player in any sort of fits, uh, but you know that playmaking point guard that Kawhi Leonard benefited from with Kyle Lowry last year in Toronto is just a uh, you know a guy that I don't think the Clippers necessarily have. I think maybe some people are hoping Shamit can do some of that stuff, but I mean let's not undersell how good Kyle Lowry was for the Raptors last year either, and, and how good of an mm-hmm. All NBA caliber player he's been uh, in recent years for them too. So. Uh, it's more the edges of the lineup, right? It's that one spot, that five spot, that have me a
0: little bit nervous on LA's behalf. We're in total uh, agreement here again. Uh, I, I think for me, looking at the, the strengths, like it's the defense, and, and that's really stood out even in the preseason without Kawhi. Like you know, their their defensive numbers have been really impressive. Uh, you know, obviously against the non NBA opponents, but even against the NBA opponents, and you saw a little bit last night what Kawhi was able to do against Luca. Uh, just stripping the ball from him you know him, him dribbling in front of Kawhi and just Kawhi ripping it from him like I think you're going to see a lot of that you know I went back and watched a lot of the defensive highlights um, of Kawhi and PG last season and and just kind of trying to see how they play defense and it's like these dudes like the, the normal rules don't apply to those two like they they gamble a lot they're out of position a lot but because of their you know defensive IQ their ability to read offenses their ability to understand player tendencies they're able to make really well-timed decisions to play passing lanes, to reach at a certain time, to blow up a dribble handoff or to trap or something like they just are defensive savants. And I I think it's fair to question, you know, Kawhi slipped a little bit last season and in the playoffs, he wasn't, there were some LeBron moments where it was like, he wasn't always defending the opponent's best, you know, scorer, and he took some plays off defensively. But I think you saw it in the Milwaukee series with the way he defended Giannis. Like, when Kawhi turns it on defensively, he can shut down just about anybody. And I was talking about this last night with someone uh, at the Kawhi New Balance uh, Funhouse event. Like if you're, cause we kind of got into a Lakers Clippers argument. And I was like, if you're going into a seven game battle against the Lakers, how many more, you know, or what, how many defenders would you take ahead of Kawhi and PG uh, against LeBron and AD? And, and, the, the one name the person said was Draymond Green. I think you could maybe throw Giannis in there just because of his size and versatility. And, and just, you know, he's a really, really good defender. But outside of that, it's like if I'm going against LeBron James, I want Kawhi Leonard in that series. I want Paul George in that series. And heck, I, I want Andre Iguodala too, if the, if the Clippers can somehow get him. But like, I just think that, you know, the Clippers are so well equipped to face star wings which you know pretty much every contender has outside of i guess maybe denver but if if they're playing the rockets you can throw Kawhi and pg on james harden and russell westbrook if they're playing the lakers again lebron and ad if they're playing the bucks Giannis. if they're playing the sixers you know simmons and tobias harris or, or josh richardson or whoever so i just think they're so well equipped to defend those types of teams that no other team can really match that i guess maybe the sixers maybe the bucks a little bit but in terms of their perimeter defense, you know, you throw in Pat, you throw in Mo Harkless, you throw in Roddy Magruder. They just have so many options. Even even Shamit, who, you know, he's not like a lockdown defender, but he defended Steph pretty well in the Warriors series. If you look at Steph's numbers with Shamit on him versus off of him, Shamit kind of took him out of the series a little bit. And again, maybe that's fool's gold. KD was rolling. Uh, the Warriors didn't really need to try their hardest to beat the Clippers. So, you know, you have to factor all that stuff in. But I do think defense. And then I actually think, you know, some of the stuff with the center rotation is a little bit overblown. Like defensively, Avica Zubats was a top 10 rim protector last season. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact number of attempts. I think it was like five plus attempts of, you know, shots at the rim defended a game. Avica Zubats was in that, you know, top 10. And, you know, he's not Rudy Gobert. He's not Miles Turner. He's not going to anchor your defense to that extent. But I think if you have him back there, you know, he is in a above average starting center defensively, uh, at least protecting the rim and like defensive rebounding. Now switching and, you know, playing, defending pick and rolls and and kind of going out to the perimeter. Like, no, we saw that in the Warrior Series, he got played off the court in, in that regard. So that is going to be a concern depending on their opponent, especially maybe against like a team like Houston. But I think overall, um, the, the Clippers are actually better, you know, I think better... Prepared to defend opposing big men than than most people would admit. I also think Jermichael Green is an underrated defender. He did really well in that Warriors series. Trez, there are con- some concerns because uh, he's a bit undersized. He, he fouls a lot, and he he doesn't always make the best decisions defensively. But I, I would say you know overall the defense. I think there there aren't many questions. To your point about the the playmaking, like that is a concern. Um, I, I do think Lou Williams and Pat Beverly are underrated guys as far as playmakers at least in the pick and roll like uh the Clippers were one of the most pick and roll heavy teams last season I think that's going to continue this season it's continued uh into the preseason and you know there aren't guys that are necessarily going to break a guy off the dribble and and go create for someone but if you give Lou Williams uh, you know head of steam in the pick and roll with Trez or you give Patrick Beverly ahead head of steam those guys can go downhill they can dump it to the big they can kick it out to the weak side shooter so Again, it's not necessarily a strength of the roster, but I do think some of that weakness has been a little bit um, overplayed. But for, for me, the weaknesses would just be, I actually think shooting is a little bit of a weakness where outside of Pat Beverly and Landry Shamit, I don't trust a lot of the shooting around Kawhi and PG. Like Jermichael Green had a career year with the Clippers, uh, but that was in you know 30 plus games. Like Zubats and Trez have not shown they could hit threes yet. Uh, Pat Patterson lost his shooting touch last season. He shot well in the preseason, but that could be fool's gold. And then you're looking at Mo Harkless, who's been an inconsistent shooter. Rodney Magruder, who's been an inconsistent shooter. Uh, rookie Terrence Mann, who, you know, has not proven he can hit threes at a reasonable rate yet. So for me, it's actually looking at some of the closing lineups and stuff. Like, I just wonder if teams are loading up on, on Kawhi and PG, who are the other shooters that are really going to make shots consistently? It's going to have to be Landry, it's going to have to be Pat. But then now you're kind of playing that, you know, is Lou out there? Is, is Pat out there? Is Landry out there? I think there's a lot of questions with the rotation where this team could almost be too deep for its own good. Um, you know, and that, it's a good problem to have, but I do wonder how Doc balances that because you would think he's going to want Lou out there, but I actually think Pat and Landry are much better fits around Kawhi and PG. So I know I just rambled for for a couple of minutes here, but um, I, I guess this leads into the, the next question, which is, if you know with the holes this team has on the roster at center and point guard do you anticipate them making a move whether that's a trade for someone or being aggressive on the buyout market like how how do you think they fill that center or point guard void or do they just leave it as is
1: yeah i wouldn't call them holes i think that's a little bit too aggressive just going back to one thing you said though um you were mentioning how they can match up so well with the different stars whether it's Houston Milwaukee LA i agree completely uh, a nice way that somebody put it to me over the summer was this they said the Houston Rockets spent three years, quote unquote, obsessed with the Golden State Warriors, right? Trying to build a team that could take them down. And basically in 24 hours, the Clippers built a team that's like designed to take down the Rockets. (laughs) Because like you said, you know, if you want two guys to go against James, like in the entire league, I mean, I think both Kawhi and Paul George, uh, and maybe even Beverly to a certain degree would all be, uh, you know, pretty high up on that list. So, uh, you know, it's, it was kind of the the checkmate aspect, uh, you know, of of their summer planning. Um, you know, whether it plays out as well as it sounds on paper, that remains to be seen. But certainly, uh, I think that's a very important point when you're looking at like how to break down playoff matchups. You know, the superstar wings drive so much of it, uh, and they've got you know two of the very best ones. Now, I think the the Shamit point is really also important to me. He's the X factor for the entire season, you know, and they're actually a team full of X factors. Cause guys like Lou Williams always get called X factors or, you know, Trez is kind of like a prototypical X factor, just, you know, his style of play, how, how he changes games coming off the bench. But I think what you're saying, both offensively and defensively, the importance of his shooting, uh, the importance of uh, his ability to be just kind of a dog defensively, to, to hang in there, despite, you know, maybe the questions about his size and to just be pesky and annoying. And compliment, uh, you know, the big guys around him. uh, I think, you know, that that's his mantle to bear this year, for sure. I was so impressed with him. uh, After the trade, I thought that was, you know, one of, uh, you know, the better moves at the deadline was to kind of sneak him out of that deal. Uh, You know, for anybody, you know, around the league, I I thought that was just a really nice, uh, uh, you know, a really nice piece of front office work. And so, for sure, going into this season, I, I kind of think I've got him circled. It's like you know, if they're going to win a title, it's because he's really stepped up to the moment. If they fall short, it could be because just something you know just didn't pan out like you know people were hoping or expecting. Um, and then uh, you know, I guess um, in terms of those holes, I think their moves this year will be smaller by nature. Whether it's buyouts, uh, you know, chasing Iguadala, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, just trying to get people to gravy train onto a, uh, you know, a championship type team, which tends to happen during the buyout market. I don't expect to see like a wholesale, you know, huge push for, uh, you know, an overhaul at the one or five. I think they like their group enough to pretty much keep it where it's at.
0: Would you trade Mo Harkless for Andre Gudala Because I don't, I don't think I would. It's really tricky because
1: I think, you know, Harkless is going to give you more value over the course of an 82 game season. Um, Iguodala is like almost in a category of his own because of just the level of experience that he has, the number of high quality Mm -hmm. reps that he's had guarding, um, LeBron James most specifically, but also Kawhi in last year's finals. So, you know, if you're saying like your path to the title is going through potentially Clay Thompson, LeBron and Giannis, um, you know, Andre Iguodala sounds pretty good, uh, for that path, you know, but it, it also requires, I mean, he's on his own load management program as it is, you know, I mean, he's definitely takes it super, super easy during the regular season. He ramps it up during the playoffs. He can't always stay healthy through the entire, you know, postseason run. Um, so I think I would probably take Iguodala just out of the respect factor and knowing that you just really want to deploy him situationally in certain matchups for about a month uh, in the summertime, you know, coming up in May and June. Uh, but I think, you know, who's a steadier piece? Who's going to give you more value over the course of the whole season? I think the answer is Harkless.
0: Yeah. And and Mo is really, you know, because I obviously watched him in the playoffs and stuff with Portland, but I, I wasn't as familiar with his game. And, and just from talking to people who've covered him in Portland, doing my own kind of research and, and, you know, watching some film on him and then talking to the Clippers coaching staff, like he's really been the standout guy since, you know, they started practicing together in early September at the Clippers training facility. And, and he's really been that guy that, you know, unanimously everyone I spoke to was was just glowing about and was like, you know, I, at first it kind of seemed like Jermichael Green was going to be the starting power forward and it was going to be Zubots, Green, uh, Kawhi, PG, and Pat. And within like a couple of weeks, immediately everyone was like, I think Mo's going to start and, and Mo's looked better and, and Mo's been shooting the ball better. He's more versatile defensively because he can defend basically one through four. And, you know, just with what he brings, you know, he's a a good offensive rebounder. He's a good cutter. You know, so kind of some of the spacing issues he might provide, he's going to make up for that from from cutting at the right time, you know, grabbing offensive rebounds, stuff like that. Uh, So I don't know. It's tough because like you said, in the playoffs, you probably trust Andre a little bit more like there's just something with the playoffs where if you you know look at his numbers, Andre Iguodala in the regular season versus the playoffs the last three four years, there's been a significant jump in the postseason with his shooting, with his playmaking, with his defensive numbers, like just across the board. Andre Iguodala has been much better in the playoffs than the regular season for a few years now, and I, I expect that will you know continue this season. But at the same time, I'm like. If you're going to have Paul George potentially missing the first 15 to 20 games of the season and then occasionally resting, if you're going to have Kawhi sitting out 10 to 15 games, like you're going to need those reinforcements. And that's where I think Mo Harkless is going to be so important for this team, where, you know, he's a guy who w- was starting in, in Portland for the last three years, you know, made a conference finals run that, I don't think that much of, but you clearly do. Uh, and, uh, you know, like he, he, <laughs> I, I've, uh, I've never been a big Portland believer, even though I love the city. Uh, um, I just like looking at his experience, like he has his own experience in the playoffs so you're nowhere near the same as Iguodala's, but like just, just sort of him going from being a starting piece, a guy who plays 26 to 30 minutes a night to potentially being like a 15 to 18 minute a night guy off the bench with the ability to step in, start, play 25 to 30 minutes, if PG or Kawhi's out of the lineup, like, I just think that piece is so valuable. And, you know, maybe it is a, who cares about the regular season, let's focus on the playoffs type thing. But for me, I'm like, I I just don't even know, we don't know what Iggy's going to look like in April. Like, you know, guys at, at that age, I think he's what, 34, 35, like, guys around that age just drop off randomly at any moment. And I would hate to give up on a twenty-six-year-old like Mo Harkless, um, you know, who I, I think is still going to be a high-level rotation player for the next f- at least four to five years. Uh, you know, to, to for Iggy, who might give you two solid months, maybe, and you are not even guaranteed that. Like, I, I don't know, it, it's an interesting thing, but to me, like, that's probably who's going to have to be traded for Igudala if he ends up getting traded. Obviously, for the Clippers, the ideal scenario is he gets bought out. And he just signs with you. I think Jerome Robinson is another guy who could potentially be moved in that deal. Maybe Memphis just wants a former lottery pick and a a guy who can grow with, you know, John Morant and and Jaron Jackson, just another wing shooter to to kind of just put out there. Uh, But outside of those two, it's like, I I just don't really see who on this team gets moved. Like maybe they have to cut Patrick Patterson, depending on how he plays at some point to to make an addition for Igudala or. Joakim Noah if if he's healthy in in a few months or something but outside of those two I I just don't really see who else out there can really help. Yeah, them. on
1: the Harkless point, I I guess I should clarify. I think I would rather have uh Igudala than Harkless in a very specific playoff situation against the very best superstar guys, right? But if I have to sacrifice Harkless to get Igudala for those situations, it wouldn't be worth it to me. I I think that the argument you're making here about, you know, his potential long-term value to the franchise Uh, is a very good one. Uh, I also think that uh, he's in a good spot here because you know, I I think there's going to be more minutes than maybe some people are expecting available to him because I think his game fits with the two stars just fine. He's versatile. He can defend multiple positions. You could run those guys out there together. It's going to look a little different than some other teams, but you're not going to be at a major disadvantage. There aren't going to be a lot of teams who can somehow punish a mismatch when Harkless... George and Leonard on the court together, or even just two of those three guys, you're going to be, you know, squared away. There was a little bit of a flare up last year, though, where I think he made a comment. He felt like he was just jogging up and down the court, you know, because he wasn't really necessarily completely involved in the offense. And they were maybe just treating him more as a spot up shooter. And so I think that is one question where can you do enough to keep him involved offensively? Does the style of play, uh, you know, make him feel like he's actually an active participant or you could flip it around and say maybe just the overall talent level and the culture of what the Clippers are building here winds up keeping guys like him more invested because they feel like they're playing for a title rather than just, you know, just another team uh, you know that was out there. So you know, that's that's one thing to uh to monitor because it is gonna be a, a role change for him for sure compared to what he was used to in Portland. But uh, you know, I think he's gonna wind up, you know, playing important minutes for them and actually you know, a pretty sizable number of minutes for them.
0: Well, and and also relevant to this conversation is the fact that he's in a contract year, Montrez Harrell's in a contract year, and Jermichael Green's in a contract year. And those three are going to overlap to some extent because it does sound like Moe and Jermichael are the two fours on this team. I think Moe will occasionally play some three. He's played a little bit of three in the preseason, but the Clippers have almost viewed him exclusively as a four just because obviously PG and Kawhi are going to get pretty much all 48 minutes at the three with the other one spending some time at the two. Uh, so I think just kind of in a minute's breakdown, like Mo's going to have to play the four and there's going to be kind of a competition there where him and Jermichael are not only competing for being a part of this Clippers team moving forward, but for how much money they're going to be getting this off season. And, you know, for a guy like Jermichael, he was someone who was expecting a lot more money than he ended up getting. You know, ended up signing a two-year, ten million dollar deal with a player option on that second year. He's going to try to cash out next summer. You know, Montrezl Harrell is going to be expecting a fifteen to twenty million dollar, uh, you know, annual deal next summer. Mo Harkless is probably going to be looking for something in that, you know, ten to thirteen million range, uh, you know, a, a year next summer. So that's also kind of a. There is some room for, so I, I kind of think that they're gonna be fine because, as you just said, there's gonna be a lot of fluctuation in the rotation in the lineups, and, and this is kind of a good transition to the this next thing I want to talk about. Like Doc has mentioned this sliding starting lineup, and already I think we're gonna see it where opening night, Jermichael Green is gonna be the starting four against Anthony Davis. That's who's gonna you know start defending him. Uh, but you know, it would not surprise me if the next game against Golden State, who might you know is going to be starting Draymond? Like maybe Mo Harkless gets that call uh, against Draymond Green, or the the next night is is going to be uh, Phoenix Suns and, and Dario Saric. Maybe they go with Mo Harkless against Dario, and it's going to be fluctuating night to night. You know, is Kawhi in the lineup? Is PG in the lineup? Are they both in the lineup? Like we're going to have this kind of weird starting lineup where I think the only constants are really going to be Kawhi and PG when they're healthy, uh, but. I think that has the potential to cause some issues where, you know, maybe Mo or Jermichael wasn't feeling they're they're starting enough or getting the right shots. Or, you know, it's clear that the guy who starts plays better because he's getting all these open threes, whereas the bench guy maybe doesn't get the same looks. Uh, But it's also, I think, going to keep people happy where Lou Williams might not close games. I I think this season, depending on the matchup where his defense is going to be such a liability that the Clippers say, hey, like, you know, you're the third option right now. And we don't really need you to close a game offensively. You know, we're going to go with Landry, we're going to go with Pat. So Lou, you're not you know, you're know, you sitting out tonight, the last five, six minutes of this game. But then the next night, maybe Kawhi rests or, or Paul George rests. And then Lou goes for 25. He, he, you know, he closes the game, he hits a couple big shots, and now he's happy again. So I think it's going to be a lot of fluctuation with the lineups with the rotations, like, I don't know if you could say at this point there's going to be a set starting lineup or a set rotation. It does seem like Doc's going to go with 10 to 11 guys. You know, seven or eight of them can start. And it's really going to be a night-to-night thing where one night, you know, when, when Kawhi and PG are there, it's going to be their team, their night. But Lou will get some big opportunities when, when one of those guys rests. You know, Landry, I think, will also be in line for some, some bigger nights. And how do you kind of see that playing out and, and how do you see that affecting the team locker room you know, chemistry and, and, sort of the morale, if at all. Well,
1: I'll tell you this, it's going to be a big test for me personally. Okay. Because I uh, <laughs> am a little bit old school about this. I like the idea of clearly defined roles, you know, your go-to starting lineup, your go-to closing lineup, sticking, you know, somewhat tightly to certain rotations and allowing all of your lesser players, just maximizing their comfort, getting them in a situation where they feel like they're going to be, um, uh, as productive and happy as possible, and then I also am. I'm big on staggering stars too. So making sure that like you've always got you know one of your best players on the court no matter what, and you're filling in your your groups around those guys. Um, what Doc is proposing does kind of blow my mind a little bit, and I'm not necessarily against it. Um, you know, I think you saw actually Toronto with Kawhi Leonard juggle their starting lineups at various points during playoff series. Um, you know, more often than the average team. And I think it, you know, it worked out pretty well for them. Um, I think in theory, you know, if you're taking the human element out of it, um, we should not be so tied as we are kind of just historically in the NBA to certain starting lineups, always being out there. You know, if you started fresh with your game plan every single night and tried to come up with who are your best groups to go against the opposition that night, you would see a lot more change to the starting lineups than what we actually do see in reality. So it's a case where like my brain is telling me one thing, but like, you know, my experience and my heart uh, is telling me something else. And I think it's just going to be fascinating. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't see a lot of other teams even thinking about this, you know, around the league, right? This idea of a sliding starting lineup, but it is a luxury because you, you could say they have like eight or nine different guys who would be capable of starting um, on most teams. They do have some health concerns uh, that they're absolutely going to have to work through. And so they may wind up having no choice. Uh, I guess my hope would be that, you know, come April, we know who their starters are. We know who their very best groups are. We know who their closing lineup go-to is. And, uh, you know, some of this stuff winds up working itself out. But I really have no idea. I think that the Clippers are way, way up there for me in terms of the most fascinating teams. Uh, You know, the Pelicans would be in that group because of the Zion factor, you know, pending his health. Um, You know, and there's a few other teams out there that are just you know, different stylistically. The Philadelphia 76ers come to mind where they're just going to be bullying teams. Um, So there's a few teams that are like, you know, bringing just different uh, philosophical things to the table, but the Clippers are absolutely in that conversation. I mean, I think of all the teams that you want to watch early in the season to just kind of get a sense for what they're doing, um, they're on the list. And that's going to be especially true once Paul George comes back.
0: Yeah, and and I, I think I actually like the concept of it because... I felt there were times Doc was a little too rigid with the lineup, where you know you you saw like there the cases could be made that the, the Clippers should have maybe benched like DeAndre Jordan and gone with Blake at the five and done like you know bl- small ball Blake and Chris like um, you know slide Matt Barnes to the four and, and go with a you know someone else that I, I you know some of those rosters were. were so shallow that it might've been hard to kind of do that. But like, I think in the past, some of Doc's, you know, rigidness with the lineups and the rotations kind of hurt the Clippers. So for him to be talking this way right now with, with this type of, because I do think like with Kawhi and PG fluctuating so much in and out of the lineup, like it would kind of make sense to have some flexibility and, and kind of approach each game individually as like, what is the best possible five-man combination against this team versus just saying, okay, well, when Kawhi's out, all right, Mo, you're in. When Paul's out, all right, Landry, you're in. And like, we're sticking with, you know, the, the other four guys are the exact same. Like it's going to be some, all right, well, this team has two bigs. So Jamichael, it's going to be you and Zubots, Or, all right, well, this team goes a little bit smaller. So Mo, you're in at the four. And I think they're really going to approach it that way where it's, you know, what's the best possible lineup and and kind of defensive matchup for this game and and sort of attack it that way. And I think sometimes teams don't do that enough where you get rigid, you get, you know, this is how we play, this is, you know, we're not changing for, you know, whoever we're playing. And sometimes that costs you if it is a bad matchup. So I think the fact that the Clippers are almost going to compartmentalize it and approach each game as almost its own, like playoff series of, you know, what's the best way to attack this team. I, I kind of like that. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch, like you said, all season. Now let's get into a couple of quick hitters and then uh, prediction time. What is your ideal starting lineup and what is your ideal closing lineup?
1: Um, I think, you know, starting I'd go Beverly, Shamit, uh, Kawhi, Paul George, uh, and Zubak. Um, you know, I know that that puts a little bit of pressure on, you know, either Kawhi or Paul George to play the four um, I just think that's lots and lots of shooting. Um, I think you a lot of versatility defensively, and you know you always want to start big and close small. Um, so I think that's sort of how I would approach it in terms of the closing lineup. I think that one, uh, that one could change more based on you know personnel and and matchups. But I would be going Trez at the five. Um, uh, you know Paul George at the four, a Kawhi at the three. And then with the guard spots, uh, I would be picking two of, you know, Lou Williams, Shamit, and Beverly, uh, just sort of depending on if I thought I could sneak Lou Williams on the floor defensively without really paying for it.
0: Um, So that's where I'm at. How about you? I wish we disagreed more. (laughs) Uh, I I agree. Like, I, I think they should go small with the starting lineup. I get why they don't. Uh, because I, I think it would make for, because the one thing with doc is rigid with is he, he does like the 10 man rotation, the two separate lineups. I'm really interested to see how much they end up staggering the season. Like it's going to be inevitable that they can't just exclusively play Kawhi and PG together with the kind of the depth of this rotation and the way they're going to be distributing the minutes. Like you're going to see one of those two guys play with the bench a bit, but doc really does prefer his two separate five man units and I think if you're looking at that starting lineup with the bench being Trez, Jermichael, Mo Harkless, uh, Lou, and looks like Terrence Mann has the inner edge right now over uh, Rodney Magruder for that kind of 10th man spot, there's not that much shooting around that Lou Trez pick and roll. And that's really that bread and butter of the second unit. Like you're, you know, Jermichael, I, I think the jury's still out, but it looks like he he can shoot the ball above average, but. Outside of that, Terrence Mann can't really shoot and Mo Harkless is really inconsistent. So I just kind of wonder if they're kind of thinking about the bench as well with, with some of this. Yeah, but well, I would I've like also Paul heard George, Kawhi, Kawhi and PG I, don't want to. I would
1: like to see Paul George play with Trez and Lou, like somewhat significant minutes. You know, I think it's yeah. better to separate Kawhi from those guys because you do really want the ball in those guys' hands. But Paul George shown the ability to kind of scale back into like a secondary scoring role. And so you just say, hey, you know, Lou Williams, go nuts. Paul George, you know, you suck the defense away on the backside. And if the ball skips to you, you go to work. I mean, I think that could be really, really nice.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And and looking at the, the lineups, I, I do think uh, like Kawhi and PG also just don't want to play the four. And, you know, I, I've heard that from multiple people. Uh, it's a similar thing to Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Like, Neither one of those guys has ever embraced playing the four that much. They've never started at the four and those guys are, you know, technically bigger than Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, at least height wise. So I, I would just say like, it seems to be a thing with with wings that they'd rather play the three than the four. Uh, I expect they will close some games with with those, one of those two at the four, but to start games, to bang with a Blake Griffin, uh, a Julius Randle, a Zion, once he's healthy, Like I don't think those guys want to do that. So I do think they're going to protect them with Jermichael or with Mo. So with knowing that they don't want to start, I guess I would say my ideal starting lineup is probably uh, Zubats, Jermichael, Kawhi, PG, and Pat. But in a perfect world where one of those guys was open to it, I agree with you. And then closing lineup, I'm actually trending towards a bit of a more controversial stance on this where I kind of think you don't go with Trez and Lou at the end of games. Like to your point, I think it's going to be a case by case basis where, again, matchups will determine who starts who closes. But I think that you, I'm almost looking at Jermichael and, and the way he played against the Warriors, just his ability to switch defensively. He had multiple games last season uh, against wings that he was able to switch onto Luka Doncic or Giannis or you know Kevin Durant and and really defend those guys at a reasonable level at least compared to Trez and Zubats. So I I think, and he's a better rebounder than Trez. Um, You know, he's not the interior scorer that Trez is, but as a floor spacer and as a versatile defender, I would probably go Jermichael, uh, PG, Kawhi, Landry, and Pat. I I think you're putting the shooting around, uh, you know, Kawhi and PG. You're putting better defenders around them just because Landry and Pat are obviously better defenders than Lou And you're putting guys who don't really need the ball. And I I think the one thing with Lou is if you put Lou next to Kawhi and PG, I think there's some overlap of like the, the Russ James Harden situation where Lou's not a great off ball guy. Like Lou kind of has to have the ball and his spot up shooting numbers aren't terrible, but he's around a 35, 36, uh, you know, percent career spot up shooter. That's solid, but Landry Shamit shot 45% on spot up threes last year. Like, uh, Pat Beverly shot 41%. So I would go with those two guys over Lou at the end of games. And I know that's sacrilegious to some Clippers fans who are going to hear that. But for me, like it, it's all about the fit. And Lou Williams, I think there there are some obvious concerns with, with him defensively. But offensively, I think there's a lot of overlap. They might just need his playmaking, as, as we've talked about. They might just need his pick and roll play. That might supersede every, everything else that we kind of have going here. But for my money, I, I think I'd go Pat and Landry as those weak side shooters guys who can secondary play make a little bit guys who can run a pick and roll if necessary uh and guys who are really going to suck the weak side defense away from kawaii pg because i uh, lou williams like i don't know if he has that same gravity
1: yeah i think you're making really really strong points um what about my guy trez though man am i higher on trez than you are i feel like the, i mean i already called landry the x factor yeah so Tre- think, like late games like I feel like if they want to be the best version of who they can be, doesn't he have to be on the court as that closing five? Like, and just, he really just grows into that. I know he's so, not the longest. Um, you know, he gets a, a decent number of block shots, um, but I don't know. I just have almost have like penciled him in, in my, in my mind in that role.
0: So to, to your point, I I wrote uh, earlier in the summer, a, you know, one question for each Clipper. And I, I kind of tried to look at the biggest picture Topic possible for each guy, and for Trez, it, it was that is, you know, it's May. They're playing the Lakers, they're playing the Nuggets, they're playing the Jazz. Can he stay on the floor against an Anthony Davis, against the Nikola Jokic, against the Rudy Gobert? Because to be honest, he had mixed results last season, and there were there he actually played AD. You know, I went back and watched uh, some of his defensive clips against AD. He actually bodied him up pretty well and and kind of forced them out to the mid range didn't really give up a lot in the post. So who knows, maybe he ends up defending AD fairly well. And like, that's kind of a surprising matchup for the Clippers that doesn't really go the Lakers way as much as you'd think, but he struggled against Jokic. He struggled against Rudy Gobert. He struggles against, you know, legitimate seven footers. And I just, you know, it's kind of a give and take thing where, you know, yes, he's going to be devastating in the pick and roll and no one can really stop him when he's rolling to the rim like that. But on the opposite end he's a below average rebounder he's a average rim protector at best like i just wonder again if the defensive side is is maybe where you kind of think about this where you know if you're going smaller with trez Kawhi, and pg i don't know if you could protect the defensive glass that well i don't don't know if you could you know block shots or deter shots or you know uh just kind of properly contain the paint the way you want to at a championship level like that's why, and this is something that, you know, we don't have to go into this necessarily, but like something that Nate brought up in our preview that we talked about was Trez might be a trade candidate because, you know, looking at next summer, do you want to pay Montrez Harrell $20 million a year? Like let's say he gets three years, 60 million. Do you want to commit to him being basically your third best player for the next few years? I don't know if the Clippers want to do that. And You know, if if he can't close games, or if there are legitimate questions about him closing games, I I think it would not surprise me necessarily if this team moved him around the trade deadline. Like the Clippers have have done this, we saw it with Blake Griffin. They within a few months they decided, hey, Blake's not our franchise guy, let's trade him. They did it with Tobias Harris. Hey, we don't want to give him the max this summer, let's trade him. Uh, Like I could see them doing that with Montrez Harrell. I'm not, you know, this is not reporting anything. I have not had any conversations with anyone from the Clippers about this, but just reading the tea leaves, I don't know if his team's gonna, you know, commit to basically a backup center, you know, for for 17 to 20 million dollars a year. I just don't think that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I
1: think it comes down to this. If he can't wind up being a closing center for you, and he's not a three-point shooter, which he knows we know he's not, then any hope of him being your Draymond is gone, right? So you can't treat him like that number three guy who is necessarily a part of your core piece, uh, your core package, who deserves the huge, you know, contract bump, you know, regardless and who you're going forward through thick and thin. And so then your choice becomes, okay, if it become if it's clear early that he's just not working in that closing five role, then do you hang on to him for this season, hope that he can give you enough, you know, during a deep playoff push, or do you try to get out in front of it early knowing that uh, there's going to be some teams out there who are definitely interested in trading for him with the intent of re-signing him. Uh, I could see it. I hope it doesn't come to that, though. I- I'm entering this season with a lot of like Montrezl Harrell <laughs> optimism. I would love to see him win sixth man of the year or get back into that mix. I thought he was an underrated candidate last year. Uh, I think that the things that he does well... Um, are usually associated with like kind of appreciation from casual fans, right? Where it's like, Oh yeah, he's an energy guy. He dunks really well. You know, he he'll mess around with Chuck, you know, the, the condor, all that kind of stuff. I and mean, the guy really does contribute a lot to winning in my opinion. And I hope that he starts to get some more widespread love and, and recognition this year.
0: No, I I'm with you. And that, that's what I want to clarify here is like, I'm not trying to diminish what Trez brings. I, I do think he's probably the best backup big man in the league, uh, I, I think he is a starting caliber player. Like I argued last season, I, I thought he should have been the starting center until they eventually got Zubots. And then I felt it kind of made more sense. But um, I just think when, when you get to that level of, as we're talking about earlier in the podcast, you know, conference finals finals, the, the, you know, it's the, the slimmest margin for error. And, you know, w- what Trez has shown to this point, I think w- would give me some pause on the defensive end and the defensive glass, but You know, As you said, if he can step up and and prove he can do that, then I think it it is a no-brainer of he should be the closing Like I think he's entering the season as the closing center favorite. It's his position to lose, but I do have some concerns compared to Zubats, compared to Jermichael Green on the defensive end, on the defensive glass, but that'll play out. Uh, I've taken up too much of your time, so let's quickly close this out with predictions. What is your prediction for Games 1, Seed in the West and end result um, of the I'll season.
1: go 54 wins. I will go maybe three seed. Um, And I think I'll, I'll pick them to win the title. Why not? I'm on the Clip City podcast, all right? I'm going to do it for Clipper Daryl and Yovon, the number one <laughs> Laker hater and, and all the rest. So I'll go for you know, them. Go over the Sixers in the finals. Oh, boy. Uh Six. I think it'll be an ugly okay. final. No so one's gonna I've be happy around. with it. You know, it's gonna be kind of a slug fest. Everyone's gonna say, why do we complain <laughs> about the Warriors dynasty breaking up? I want to see some, you know, more beautiful basketball. Uh, but uh, you know, I look forward to it uh for sure because there's a lot going on from a matchup perspective, style perspective. Uh, and I think it'll be a, a good showcase for you know defense, which has kind of gotten lost here over the last five years.
0: So I will say I've started to change my Take on this. I originally had them 53 wins in a three seed. I'm now up to 55 wins in the two seed. I'm a little more optimistic on the resting. I think there's a chance Kawhi ends up only resting like six to eight games, which I think would really tilt that from him, you know, him missing 15 games versus missing like seven or eight. That's a huge difference. And I think if it ends up being more on that kind of optimistic projection, uh, I do think you'll see, you know, a, a two to three win increase for the Clippers. So I'm going to go 55 wins, two seed. I'm in agreement that they beat the Sixers, but I'm going to say in five games. I, I actually think that matchup tilts more in the Clippers' favor. I think if they're playing the Bucks, I'd probably go with a seven game series, uh, but I'll say they beat the Sixers in five. And yeah, like if I'm wrong, throw it in my face. Although if you're probably listening, you're a Clippers fan, so you won't do that. But, um, Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate the time. Where can people follow you? Twitter, Instagram, anything you want to promote. I know you've been on no, CNN lately talking about all do, China don't stuff. Don't do me like so, that. Uh, uh, Washington Post. <laughs> so so look, look up the YouTube clips. <laughs> WashingtonPost.com
1: <should> <laughs> slash sports is the best place. Uh, Twitter at Ben Gulliver and Instagram at Golliver. It was great to uh, catch up. I'm looking forward to seeing you around Staples Center. I'm uh, incredibly impressed by how you've taken your career to the next level year after year after year. I feel like Um, you know, most improved writer conversation. I feel like you're like Giannis where he had that four-year run just back to back to back to back where he kept blowing people's minds. That's how I feel about your run here. Uh, Sorry to embarrass you, but uh, it's the truth. And best of luck with the new podcast.
0: (laughs) Thank you, man. I I really appreciate that. A special thank you to Ben for hopping on the second inaugural pod. Uh, Please follow him on Twitter, Instagram. You can also follow me on social media at Yovan Buha. That is at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. Same handle on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, Follow me there for behind the scenes stuff from Clippers practices, games, stay up to date with articles I'm posting and uh, stuff I'm retweeting and and just kind of throwing out random thoughts on Twitter all the time. So uh, please engage and follow me there. Try to respond to everybody. And most importantly, if you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, you could subscribe for the price of a cup of coffee for one year. Uh, please do that. Please subscribe off this podcast, off one of my articles, wherever you want to subscribe off of. Please do that. Uh, And you could also obviously subscribe to this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you're listening to this right now, you can subscribe, stay up to date with the latest Clippers conversations, uh, topics, news, analysis, all that good stuff. Uh, We're going to be having one podcast again, outside the paywall, one podcast behind the paywall and try to mix it up, give you different types of guests, whether it's national writers like Ben, uh, you know local writers, um, you know clippers players, clippers front office, coaches, uh, team personnel, uh, you know I've had lots of great guests on this podcast before. so want to continue bringing you uh, the best possible clippers coverage that I can. So please subscribe to the athletic, please follow me, Twitter, Instagram and I hope you enjoy this pod. I will be back in a couple of days.